I'm going to preach. The message I'm going to share today, yeah, there's going to be some teaching. You're going to hear stuff you've never, probably never heard before. But this message is also prophetic. It is very relevant in a practical way to your relationship with anyone and everyone. As you listen, if you, if you listen with an open heart, the Holy Spirit will actually start to show you hidden things in your life that you've never noticed and how the enemy manipulates it and uses it to instigate you and take you down. But you will also start to understand things in the spirit world. This is a very important message. It's also prophetic because it's, it, it, it's about what's going on right now in our nation. And so, would you pray with me right now? Father, I rely on you. I thank you for a gift that you've given me. But even more than that, Holy Spirit, I ask that you allow this gift to come alive and be anointed today as I preach. I know how. I know how. I genuinely seek you to know what to say to the people, wanting to hear your voice for your church. And I pray today that it will come straight from your mouth, that they will feel your heart, they will see and they will hear what you're wanting them to see and to hear so that your bride can be made up ready for that wedding day which is just around the corner. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the series that I've been uh, teaching is on offense and how offense is the devil's rat trap. And the devil sets these traps. He baits us. He instigates us because he wants to have us trapped. He wants to have us in a cage. I'm just making sure this thing doesn't get my finger. <laughs> and uh, he knows how to play us sometimes. And the Word of God has every kind of truth imaginable inside of it. Last uh, two weeks ago, I had this out and I showed you how the enemy, you know, once he sets that trap, he has got you. And... Uh, a trap like this, yeah, it'll kill the rodent. But the trap that the enemy sets won't necessarily kill you immediately. It will ensnare you. It'll cage you. He'll manipulate you. He wants you to live from inside that trap and experience life through the limiting cages of the spirit of offense. And so this message is very, very important. It's why there's anarchy in the streets. It's why there's rebellion and confusion. Genuine causes at times ungenuinely handled. And so I, I want to quote something President uh, Abraham Lincoln said. He said, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. 
We should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. And from that comment, I want to point out to you something that, you know, God showed me years ago. And uh, he started opening things up in my heart, in my life, and started to set me free, even as a pastor. And he said to me one day very clearly, he said, Rob, did they give offense or did you take offense? There's a very distinct difference. And whether someone is giving offense, there's a spirit behind it. And if you're taking offense, I'm going to show you scripturally, and I'll prove it, how there is a spirit behind it. And I want you to see your Achilles heel so that you can apply the blood of Jesus to the wounds in your heart that get you to react. So that you will not have an Achilles heel. You know, God said to Eve in the garden that the serpent will bruise the heel of all of her descendants. But her promised seed will come and with his heel, the very area that was meant to be weakness, crush the serpent's head. You know, in Hebrews, when it talks about the great men and women of faith... What I love is, and I say this all the time, I hope you don't get sick of hearing me say it, but it's talking about all these great men and women of faith and listing the phenomenal things they've said, they've done. And you read it and you go, wow, you know, I want to be like these people. Uh, How could I be like these people? And then there's the equalizer, a little verse, and it says, whose weaknesses were turned to strengths. The very place where the enemy has played us will become the area where we will have the strength of God and it will be our testimony and it will be our victory. Amen. How many of you are ready for a few victories in your life? All right, here we go. Offense can be given, but sometimes it's taken. Offense can be given, but sometimes it's taken. And so I want to read to you a a story that's repeated in Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 57. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogues. Now he's with his homies. He's in his hometown. And they were amazed. So here his his peers, his home village, his little town, they're amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Everybody stop. They've noticed that one of their own, one from among them, In one of the translations, it says they recognized that he had powers from God. Okay? I think it's the New King James translation words it that way. But whatever translation we're reading, they are amazed. They recognize he has miraculous powers and he has wisdom that goes beyond natural wisdom. So I'm going to read it again. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. And then they started to reason. 
Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get these things? How many of you can agree? It's obvious they saw something supernatural on him. Would you agree? Okay? And the supernatural they saw on him, was it good or was it bad? It was good. They're acknowledging, my goodness, they're amazed. They're having a wow moment. Next verse, and they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Jesus didn't give offense. They took offense. One moment they're acknowledging, wow, he has got wisdom that comes from heaven. There are miraculous powers flowing through his body. Hang on, he's one of us. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. And immediately they took offense at him. I'm going to show you scripturally why they took offense, what was going on in the history of that city, what kind of spirit dominated that region, what the Achilles heel or weakness was, bruise in them that got triggered so that they took the bait and took offense at the Son of God. And what's interesting is, and while I did not put it on the screen. If you read the next couple of verses, it says, and Jesus could only do but a few miracles in that place. And the same verse is written both in Matthew and in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Now, I'm not going to read Mark. I want to speed this up a little bit, but it's identical story, and both stories, if you keep reading, conclude with Jesus was unable to do miracles or many miracles in that place because of the attitude of their heart. I'm going to tell you right now that the uh, bait of, uh, of Satan, the trap, is to get you in a place where you are outside of the Spirit of God and you will be devoid of the miraculous potential of God. I don't want to be a person who's caught in the devil's rat trap. I don't want to be a person ensnared by the spirit of offense. And I don't want him messing with potential weaknesses or wounds from my childhood, my adult life, and use them against me as an Achilles heel so that I become his puppet so that I become his slave, and he, through those instances or circumstances, keeps me from experiencing the wonderful, miraculous power of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he performed miracles. Here he is in his hometown, and God's hands are tied because of the spirit of offense. Sometimes we've been praying for a breakthrough in our lives, but the breakthrough hasn't come because there's something in us that's broken and the enemy has got us by wounds and hurts from our past and we're holding on to an offense. Deliverance and the miraculous visitation of God comes 
when we search our heart and make sure that we're not holding on to an offense. I said last week that the anti-venom to the serpent's bite of offense is this walking in the spirit of forgiveness. And when forgiveness is in you, it is almost impossible to take offense, even when offense is given. Are you hearing me this morning? You've gone really quiet. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. I'm hearing a few of you. All right. It says that Jesus went to his hometown. So now we're going we're gonna to be snoops here. We're going to be detectives. We're going to dig into the Word of God. You're going to be amazed at what you're going to see. It is written in Scripture, and it will highlight principles of life, but it'll also highlight spiritual dynamics so that you will understand spiritual warfare on a whole nother level. What was Jesus' hometown? It says he went to his hometown. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, it says very clearly, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out fame of him throughout the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Galilee was the region. In Galilee, there were many cities. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian uh, from antiquities writes that at one point there were over 200 village type cities or townships in the region of Galilee. So Galilee would be like a, maybe a state, a very large region. It surrounded the Sea of Galilee, which was not a sea, it was a lake, but it was so large it was often referred to as a sea. And there were many fishing communities around this region. Most of the Gospels take place in Galilee. Not in other parts of Israel, all around Galilee. Jesus went from city to city. He was from Nazareth. Very important to understand that, and I'll explain why. We're going to put a map up on the screen, and uh, I just want to show you something. Here's Galilee. You can see the Sea of Galilee to the right. And then that light green area is called the Panhandle. Just like we have a Panhandle here in Florida. That's called the Panhandle of Galilee. And uh, Nazareth is in the lower area of Galilee. And there was Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. Now you're going to hear and learn some interesting things about this. And uh, <clears throat> so just leave that visual up there for a moment. There was a stigma. There was a stigma about being from Nazareth. In John chapter 1, verse 43, this is when Jesus was just starting his ministry. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, come, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. 
Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Let me tell you, one-third of the Bible is prophetic. One of the things you'll learn as you do year one Bible college is how much Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Even in the law of Moses and the uh, tabernacle worship, you will be amazed. God was constantly prophesying through types, through ceremonies, through events, Jesus, 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 and the way of salvation. So here, uh, Philip says to Nathaniel, come, we found the one that Moses spoke about and that the prophets spoke about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He was called Jesus of Nazareth because that's the little village he came from in this region of Galilee. Now watch. <clears throat> Nathaniel, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So if we could have the map up there again for a moment. Uh, Bethsaida, where these guys were from, it's not marked on the map, but at the very top of Galilee, maybe 10 miles north in the panhandle, is Bethsaida. Nazareth is far below. There was a stigma about being from Nazareth. But there wasn't just a stigma about being from Nazareth. There was also a stigma about being a Galilean. And I'm going to prove that to you again from Scripture. And so in John chapter 7, verse 31 to 32, we're going to look at a story. Jesus is preaching to the crowds. And people are debating, is he the Messiah? Isn't he the Messiah? And some said, well, he can't be the Messiah. He, he comes from Galilee. And others said, yeah, but how is any other Messiah going to do more miracles than this guy's doing? He must be the Messiah. Which, coincidentally, points to the fact that the people of that day understood that the Messiah was going to come with supernatural power. They, they knew that if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, some other Messiah was going to have to come doing greater miracles. And so they reasoned within themselves, who's going to do more miracles than this? Stay with me because I'm going to tie this all together. You're going to see how it affects your life. And then you will see how it affects us prophetically right now here in the United States of America. So in John chapter 7, verse 31 to 32, it says, Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. The Pharisees were getting offended. And they sent the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. We're going to skip a couple of verses and pick it up at verse 45 and read to verse 52. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him with you? Where is he? And they answered, No one 
has ever spoken the way this man does? The guards replied. You mean he's deceived you too? The Pharisees re uh, retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in this man? No. But this mob that knows nothing about the law, there is a curse on them. So Nicodemus, who had already come to Jesus, and here he was, one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Doesn't that, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And they replied, now these are the religious leaders, and they say to another religious leader, Nicodemus, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet doesn't come from Galilee. So here's this region, <coughs> this whole region, a large section of Israel, and there is this misnomer that no prophet will ever come out of Galilee. Nothing good can come out of Galilee. Now, isn't it interesting that Nathaniel was from Galilee, but he was from Bethsaida? Can I have the map back? And on the map, you will see there is Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. You see, if you were from Galilee, you were considered to be inferior. You were considered to have less standing. You were more of a hick. You were not intelligent. And nothing good ever comes out of Galilee. Now, when I was in Australia, God led us to Pioneer Church in a town called Dubbo. And uh, Dubbo is six hours inland from Sydney. Sydney's on the coast. And then from Dubbo, you just keep heading out into the outback. So it was a rural place. The town was 30,000 people, and uh, it served a farming community of about 120,000 people. It was a very, very small town. It would get so hot in Dubbo, this is the honest truth, it would get so hot in Dubbo that we would have heat waves of 105, 108 for three, four, five days in a row. And when we would have those heat waves, you could literally get out of your car and the roads were a little tacky and you could see the tire imprint in the road because the, the, the tarmac would just get soft again, okay? Uh, but here's an interesting thing about Dubbo. If you wanted to insult someone in Australia as being dim-witted, not intelligent, a bit of a hick, you would say, are you a Dubbo? And all the kids growing up in Dubbo wanted to get out of that town as soon as they graduated high school because of the stigma associated with it. And so God takes me, a kid who was born in New York City, uh, then lived in Adelaide, South Australia, lived in Brisbane for a short time, and brings me, this American, to this very rural place called Dubbo. And it was very obvious how people in Dubbo had a spirit of inferiority. And you saw it especially over the young people, you even saw it over the adults. 
when a region gets a reputation, sometimes there's history to why there was that reputation. You have got to understand the spirit world is very real, and the Apostle Paul talks about principalities. He doesn't just talk about demons, he talks about principalities, and a principality is a higher demonic entity who rules a region, okay? So you could have a region like New York State, and then a smaller region, New York City, and then you could break it down and you have different boroughs inside of New York City, and you can have a principality who rules a area, and then an, a, a larger principality who rules them and a larger area. And so Dubbo was uh, literally uh, a spirit of inferiority over this place. Well, history tells us that to have been from Galilee was to have been from a, you know, a, a second-class place. Now, we live in a world where there is prejudice right around the world. It's not just black and white. It's not just white and brown. It's everywhere. It's from brown to black. It doesn't matter. You know, you could have darker shades of African-American and lighter shades, and there's prejudice. You go to South America and from one South American nation to the next, and I've traveled through, uh, from nation to nation, there's the sense of superiority and a sense of inferiority. I remember going to Africa one time on a preaching crusade, and here I was in South Africa, and uh, this white guy started to rip this African uh, to shreds, the, uh, one of the porters, and uh, demanded, how dare you talk to me like that? And I got to be honest, I mean, I was on a, pre uh, a preaching engagement, I had just arrived in the country, and everything in my flesh wanted to rise up and punch the white guy out because of the way he was treating this fellow human being. And it, it was very disheartening and sad to see, and I had, a, I had to deal with my attitude. But justice was rising up in me, and I was upset. We go six, eight hours inland to a place called Nindola. We flew out of South Africa into uh, Zambia, went to a place called Nindola, and here we are at their supermarket. And the supermarket would have been maybe as large as this section of chairs. And everything was sold in wheat, uh, in Hessian sacks. Uh, nothing like going to a supermarket here in the United States. And so we went inside to get some refreshments and were quickly disillusioned. But anyway, as uh, we come out, I'm standing outside the store and here's an a Zambian young lady of a slightly lighter black color and a darker Zambian. And he's standing near the doorways, and as she comes out, she scowls at him and yells at him and tells him off because he knows better he should keep his distance from her. Whether you go to northern India or southern India, there's the same disparity. Racism is an issue of sin. 
and it comes from pride, and it comes from accepting an inferior status. It comes with hurts, it comes with wounds. And I'm going to tell you unequivocally, it doesn't matter who's watching on the internet, any form of prejudice and any form of racism is not compatible with the Holy Spirit. It is not. I love the fact that this church is a multicultural church. And I love the fact that we will not see people by the color of their skin. We will see people as those who, like us, once were sinners, but today we are sons of God washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. But you see, demons will live in the status quo uh, attitudes. And so these things create wounds. And so in Galilee, you have Nathaniel who's from Bethsaida. He's more from Upper Galilee. Now Galilee in general is considered, you know, a really base place. I mean, you are just a second-rate person. Even if you're a, an Israelite, you're still a second-place person. And, and then all of Israel thought people from Samaritan, from Samaria were even lower. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked, what do I do to uh, uh, inherit eternal life? And uh, the young ruler uh, is told that uh, uh, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then some wise guy said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus deliberately concocts, and when I say Jesus, can we say God deliberately concocts a story of an Israelite who gets attacked by a thief, beat up, left on the road, bleeding, he's, he's seriously wounded, and fellow Israelites walk past him, and no one stops to help him, including a priest. And then a Samaritan comes, who's lower class than an Israelite, okay? He's even lower than a person from Galilee. And the Samaritan binds up his wounds and pays for his hotel lodgings and takes care of him. And Jesus says, this is your neighbor. So I'm going to tell you right now, who's your neighbor? Anyone and everyone, irrespective of color of skin, irrespective of culture and nationality, irrespective of what language they speak, we are one in Christ. Can I get an amen? All right. So, uh, so you have all these different levels of superiority and inferiority. And so you could be from Galilee, but you were better than somebody who was from Lower Galilee. Because if you came from Nazareth, you really were the bottom of the barrel. Nathaniel, when Nathaniel in private said to Philip, Jesus of Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? If you keep reading the story, when Jesus finally meets him, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Okay, he had a word of knowledge. And he says to Nathaniel when he first meets him, Behold, a true Israelite. Jesus was probably making comment 
on Nathaniel's typical attitude of prejudice that here he was, the rest of Israel considered him, Nathaniel, a Galilean, which is low class, but then upper Galilee is better than lower Galilee. What nonsense. And this is all around our world. It's not only in America, and it's not only black and white. And the issue at the end of the day is sin in men's hearts. Hello? You could defund the police, and you can call it a different squad, and you can give it a different set of rules. You're not going to stop the problem of sin in man's heart. The issue is sin, and that's why the church of Jesus Christ is the answer to the dilemma in America, not the government. You cannot reform sin. You cannot legislate against sin. What America needs is for the church of Jesus Christ to to get a lot more of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But I'm going to take it even a step further. I'm going to prove this point to you even more. And I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. Because over Galilee is a spirit not only of inferiority, there's a spirit of rejection, and I'll prove it to you from Scripture. If we were to turn to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10. Now, these are not things that I've ever read in a book or heard in a sermon. These are things that God revealed to me some years ago when I was actually preaching in Debo. And God was opening things up in me. And as he opened things up in me, Areas of my weaknesses became areas of strength, areas that then God was able to use through me to help set other people free from the same kinds of bondages. In 1 Kings chapter 9, we have a story. Solomon had just finished building the royal palace and the temple, okay? And uh, he, he wants to thank uh, the king of Tyre, uh, the king, his name was Hiram. And so here, here it is. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him all the cedar and juniper and gold that he wanted or needed for the royal palace and for the temple. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, 20 towns in Galilee, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these that you've given me, my brother, he asked. And he called them the land of Kabul, a name they have to this day, now Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. So here's the king of Tyre. He comes to look at these 20 towns. Can I have the map, please? <laughs> 20 towns in Galilee. And he goes there, he, royal procession, goes to check them out. And he says, this place is a dump. Literally, 
because he names it Kabul. And if you look up the name Kabul uh, in, the, in the Hebrew text, this is what it says. Kabul, uh, and you can put that up yet, a place of limitation, a sterile place. That's what the king of Tyre named. He spoke over this region. This is a place of limitation, inferiority. Do you hear it? Inferiority. This is a place of limitation. This is a sterile place. What does that mean? Sterile can't produce. Nothing good will come out of this region. Are you hearing it? And these words were spoken. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Why do you think we get you to sing the same words over and over again? Because they're spirit and life. If it's just for the sake of singing songs, come on, let's do each song two minutes, one minute, and just keep moving on. There is spirit, there is life in the words of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. The Proverbs say that death or life comes out of the tongue. And here's this king, speaks over this region. This gift is given to him. And he says, this is a place of limitation. This is a place of inferiority. This is a place that is sterile. Nothing of any significance will ever come out of it. Isn't that amazing? You're not amazed? Okay, so watch this. If we were to look up the name Galilee in the Hebrew, this is what we're going to find. The name Galilee, and you can see how it's spelled, Galil, Galil, it means a cylinder, a rod, a circuit, or a district. According to the New American Standard Exhaustive Concordance, which is the Strong's Exhaustive concordance, which I use constantly to get the original Hebrew word or the original Greek word, but this one is based on the New American Standard translation. According to the New American Standard Exhaustive Concordance, the word Galil, its origin is Galau. It comes from the root word Galau. And Galau in the masculine noun, means a heap or a pile. A heap or a pile of ruins. You see how this place had a, a mindset. It was spoken over this place over and over again. And, uh, sorry, gal means a heap or a pile or a heap of ruins. Galal means dung. So put the two together and what do you have? A heap of... You see, this stuff is in the Word of God. But most people never dig enough to read. Now I'm going to pull this all together. Here comes Jesus full of the Holy Ghost. Not full of fear. Not full of inferiority. Full of power. Full of wisdom. Full of authority. And the spirit of greatness of God is on him, and he comes into his hometown. Now listen, when you're from a little hometown, and some kid who grew up in your high school goes to the Olympics, 
and he wins the bronze medal. He may as well have won the gold medal. Everyone in that tiny speck of a town is parading. Yay! Because one of their homies made good. That's the normal human response. Here comes Jesus preaching the word of God and healing people. And his homies say, whoa, who's ever heard teaching like this? He's got wisdom that comes from heaven. And these miraculous powers, where did he get them? And you would think the natural thing is everyone would get out their banners, they'd get out their processions and say, hey, this is one of our own. They said nothing could ever come out of Nazareth, let alone Galilee. Look at this guy. Now they took offense. And here's the key. The spirit of inferiority and the spirit of rejection over that region is what speaks to the people who live under it. And instead of being excited and happy and proud that one of their own made it, that spirit felt challenged by the spirit of greatness in Jesus Christ. So Jesus didn't give offense, but they took offense. And what took offense? The spirit that was in them. There were wounds from growing up in school and always knowing that, oh, we're from Galilee and nothing good comes out of Galilee. Well, at least we're, up, we're from upper Galilee. We're not from Nazareth. We're not from lower Galilee. And this inferiority... This mindset of prejudice creates wounds. You all know what I'm talking about. We've all experienced things like this. A father who was never kind, who was never warm, a mother who never was affectionate, told you how incompetent you were. Those words become wounds. And in those wounds, the spirit of rejection and the spirit of inferiority and the spirit of fear will rest in those runes. You have, when we get wounded, we have the option of forgiving and not taking offense or being offended, wounded, and not forgiving. And now we live inside that cage. And for the rest of our lives, that is an Achilles heel in our soul. That is an Achilles heel in our emotions. And anytime anybody says anything that sounds remotely like they're going close to that bruise in my emotions, we start getting the heckles up on our back. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. And the enemy will live in the wounds and the bruises and the disappointments of your past. And that's why we have to walk in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of forgiveness, so that that enemy doesn't have anything in us. Jesus said one time, the prince of this world is coming. And you know what he said next? He says, he's got nothing in me. I haven't taken any of his baits. And he doesn't have any room or territory inside of my soul. So here's the people, the people of God, Israelites, Galileans, 
lower Galilee, fellow Nazarites. And instead of being happy for one of their own, we know his brothers, we know his sisters. Most of us here in America, because there's such a spirit of confidence over this nation, let's get their autograph. These guys didn't want his autograph. He's speaking the word of God like they've never heard before, and he's moving in miraculous power, and they're getting offended. It's a demonic reaction. And what you can't forget, the devil will make you remember. Sorry, what you can't forgive, the devil will make you remember and remember and remember. And he will keep feeding that wound until you step into the spirit of forgiveness. And until you step into the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of offense has got you by the neck. And people could come and innocently say things that are not offensive, and you will live out of that prison, and you will become squirrely, you will get offended, you will get hurt, you'll break relationships, uh, it, it will bring devastation into your families, into husband and wife relationships. Listen, the spirit of offense flows hand in hand with the spirit of rejection. The moment we feel, we perceive someone is rejecting us, we get offended. You have no right getting offended. You take offense, you're taking the devil's garbage. Let the spirit of forgiveness flow through you so that the enemy will have nothing to hold on to in your life. What we have happening in America right now is the spirit of offense is everywhere. And people are walking around with these wounds and with these chips. And without a question, genuine injustices have taken place in our nation. But unless the Spirit of Christ, unless the Spirit of forgiveness flows out of us, the healing power of God can't flow into us. Here's Jesus in Nazareth, and he can't do but a few miracles. I want to live in the constant place of God's power and the outflowing of God's Holy Spirit. And I want the power of God to make me whole so that I will never be the pull-string puppet of the devil. Last week, I shared with you the story of how Mary, Lazarus' sister, took a year's worth of wage and poured it on Jesus. Judas got upset, used a good-sounding religious argument as to why this was a waste. You know how many poor people we could feed? A week later, an unnamed woman does the same thing, but instead of anointing his feet like Mary did, and you heard the sermon last week, and if you haven't listened to it, she anoints his head so prophetic, so prophetic. And now the disciples, these great spiritual men, pick up Judas's song. You know what Judas's song was? It was demonically inspired. He was singing a song from his own weakness. 
And John said in his gospel, Judas was the one who was taking offense because he was a thief. He was stealing from the treasury. He was the treasurer. He had the money. And he was stealing from Jesus as people were giving into that. He wasn't concerned about that money going to poor people. It was money he didn't have access to. And he became indignant. Why? The spirit of greed, the spirit of covetousness, the spirit of a love for money, that miserly spirit in Judas, that in the end entered into him the wound that you don't allow to close up by the spirit of forgiveness is the wound that will stay open and it's the wound that a demon will enter into. And in the end, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 flipping pieces of silver. You can't get more real than this. You won't hear a more practical message. It is imperative that in our lives we walk offense free or we will never be free. And so here's Judas taking offense. What took offense? You have to understand that the voice that leads you to have a wrong attitude and the voice that leads you to do the wrong thing is the voice of a spirit. And you will often hear through his ears, see through his eyes, and feel through his heart. I'm going to say it again. That voice that has power to influence your actions and your attitudes and who you forgive and who you don't forgive, you come into partnership you, you end up having communion with it. And you will see through its eyes. You will hear through its ears. And you will feel the emotion it feels. And so the people in Galilee, all their inferiority was rising up. And instead of being happy for Jesus, they were upset. Judas, instead of weeping tears that someone loved his Jesus this much. We were, we were four days away uh, from, uh, five days away, six days away when Mary anointed Jesus' feet. We were two days away from the crucifixion when the unnamed woman does this. And here are the other disciples, full of the Holy Ghost, casting out devils, no discernment. Hear me, church. Hear me. Because a lot of crazy stuff's going to happen out there. And you have to be discerning by the Spirit of God. You need to know the principles of God. Or the enemy will get you to take the bait from his rat trap. And you're the one who will be in the cage. Imprisoned and ensnared. So, I see from this a principle of discernment. When I start to feel offended... I ask myself, was offense really given? I mean, what was it about what they said that was offensive? And I get very honest with myself. And if what they did and what they said wasn't really offensive, then I acknowledge I took offense. Then I ask myself, what did I take offense at? Because if I discern what I took offense at, 
I will discern the strong man who's still hiding in areas of my life. Hang on a second. Everyone just pause. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Thank you so much. There is so much in the Word of God. There's so much depth in the Word of God. And the spirit world is very real. And too often as the American church, we only see by the natural. We don't see by the spirit. I'm trying to teach you things so that you will be spiritually alert and spiritually aware. Because we are coming to times where the enemy is going to shake his fist and cause more and more confusion the Bible says if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. Understand principles of warfare. Understand what needs to get healed inside your soul. The issues that need to be dealt with so that the devil can't play you like a violin. Amen? Are you with me? Be careful what, you, what bandwagon you jump on. With all the stuff that's happening politically in our nation. The devil wants to divide the church of Jesus Christ. We are the one voice. We are the one entity. Not the Republicans. Not the Democrats or any other political party. We are the one entity that can bring salvation to the United States of America. And if you love this country and if you've pledged an allegiance to it, rise up in the Holy Ghost and be a Holy Ghost filled Christian and start to pray. Don't get into all of the political backlash because the enemy wants to divide us. The most important thing we could do is stay in unity with each other and in unity with the Holy Ghost and pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, stand with me and let's give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Put your hands together and bless God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not a preacher. Hear me. Everyone look at me. Look at me. I'm not a preacher. That's not my job. I'm a shepherd. The shepherd preaches to change the mindset and the heart set of the sheep. A lot of people have become professional preachers. You want my title? You can have it. I'll give it to you. I'll even sign it. I'll write it on paper and sign it. I'm a shepherd. And I will speak and preach the things that will get the hearts of God's kids healed and get their hearts in a right place so that the enemy doesn't have any tags on us, no handles on us. Look, in a marriage, the enemy will constantly play the rejection game. And we will read each other's responses. And sometimes rejection will be given. Sometimes, because of our own wounds, we'll perceive rejection. Your sons and daughters will reject you. Your kids will feel rejected by you. I made a statement, and I quote this often, years ago when God gave me a revelation on the spirit of rejection. 
perceived rejection, perceived rejection is as real as received rejection. Rejection and offense go hand in hand. And rejection will always invite the spirit of inferiority and then the spirit of fear. Those three demons will always work together. But offense, once you have rejection in everyone, it's the number one curse that came on mankind. The first curse, separation from God at the fall. A sense of rejection. The first curse that Jesus carried, when you read Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, yada, yada. The very first thing, very first thing he carried on himself was to counter the very first curse. Rejection. First thing Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected by all men. Why? You could play that music softly in the background. Why? Because that's the first thing that wounded the heart of humanity. Adam and Eve perceived by the devil's lies that God was withholding something good. They believed the lie. They took the bait. And their perceived rejection became a curse. Rejection is on everyone. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. I want you to come to places of forgiveness, not so that we have an emotional moment in the service. I want you to come to places of forgiveness in your past and in your memories and in your heart so that the enemy won't have a hold on you anywhere in your life. I know it. It might seem strange or hard to believe. We may not have much of a personal relationship, but as a shepherd, God puts a burden on me for the sheep. I don't want the devil to take you down. I don't want the devil to cripple you at your knees. I don't want you to live in the wounds and the hurts the things that drive you to sin because you're so frustrated and angry, you just lash out, drives you to drugs or drives you to some sin that has been your weakness. No, I, I want to make you smarter than your enemy and I want to make you healed by the blood of Jesus. And the key to healing is our repentance. God, I am holding unforgiveness when you've forgiven me of everything. What they did was wrong, but I, I, I forgive them. They're as messed up and as screwed up as I am. And I forgive them the way you forgave me. Church, hear me. I'm not trying to preach a sermon. The church needs to get right. And the church needs to walk in the spirit of repentance and forgiveness. And if we do that, the enemy has nothing on us. Jesus could do but a few miracles because of the spirit of offense. So what breakthrough have you stopped in your own life because this demon was hiding under the covers and you never saw it? Discovering 
the spirit behind your offense. I love you. I care about you. And I want to see every one of you grow to the fullness of who we're destined to be. Do you understand God destined that everyone who would say yes to Jesus, that they would take on the fullness of the character and the quality of Jesus Christ himself? That's what I'm preaching today. The spirit of forgiveness will set you free from the spirit of offense. And don't let what's happening in this nation get your goat and speak to your past and speak to your wounds and speak to your history. Church, we're not Americans first. You can take offense if you want. But I know a good sermon on that subject. You're not Americans first. You're the church of Jesus Christ. We, and only we, can heal this nation. If only God's kids could see the power and the connection he's given us with heaven. If the churches in America would start to intercede, this nation would go from the, the anarchy in the streets to revival. Let's be different. Let's set ourselves free. Let's walk in the spirit of forgiveness so that the enemy will have nothing in me. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray. I pray for those watching. I pray for those here. And I pray that you give us ears to hear. Now's not the time to have short Short church services, we need our feet to go deep in your word. We need truth like this. I pray that every man and every woman will allow the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to bring conviction, to bring repentance, and to bring healing in marriages between sons and daughters moms and dads make your church whole so that we the whole church can be the voice of reason in this nation that we love in Jesus name I pray amen amen and father just break chains right now break chains in Jesus' name, Father, as they come to you, break the chains, the traps that the enemy has had on people's lives, the pull strings that he has pulled them with, cover them, cut them, sever them, break them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and Holy Spirit, heal of the deep-rooted wounds. Make them whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around, give someone an air hug. <laughs> amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you.
Amen. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Yeah.